0: welcome to creation conversations with joe hubbard and john Mackay. join us each week as we answer your questions and common objections to the bible creation and noah's flood we hope you enjoy the show
1: g'day folks and um good to see you all i've got a little bit of an echo going on here and i don't know quite why but there we go i think i've fixed it uh it's great to see you all good good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you're joining us from around the world welcome back to creation conversations in our new format where of course we dive straight into topics uh right away you will notice however um we're missing one or two people uh john and craig are both very much caught up in preparations for the museum opening which is happening Fairly
2: shortly, Diane? Yes, fairly shortly. To, it's already today in Australia, it's so yes, in, in a yeah, few hours' time, Saturday, so we're yeah. having an open day for our museum in Brisbane.
1: It's, yes. it's all, it's all happening. It's all taken off. So, um uh, John and Craig are out of the picture for a little while while they go and prepare that. I was chatting to John last night, and it's lots of running around trying to get posters up and sorted and everything else. But uh, yes. it's looking pretty spectacular from some of the oh, photos that I've seen. Yes, so that's mm-hmm. great. We of course are joined by still Dr. Diane Eager, uh, Dr. Glenn Wilson, and Sam Jenkins as we delve into the topic of the flat Earth, but before we do that very very quickly i just want to show you a little sneak peek at some evidence that we uh, uncovered recently in fact if you uh, watch out tomorrow uh, there'll be a sort of a short video going out talking a little bit more about this fossil and some of the other fossils that we've recently acquired have a look at our uh, second stream this is the live stream of course by the way we've got a rather beautiful fish here um it's a fossil fish it's from the green river formation And it is uh, supposedly around 50 million years old or so. Um, Of course, if we put up, let's just take this down here for the moment and, uh, and put up uh, my slides here. One second. There we go. You'll be able to see. Um, we actually spoke to a, a number of experts about this, including Vance Nelson over in the uh, over in Canada. And uh, look at his uh, his uh, sort of comparison of it. There. There's our fossil sunfish, or Blu-ray, or perch um, and it's the same same kind of thing but we're not talking about the giant ocean sunfish here we're talking about the freshwater amazonian sunfish but you can see our fossil sunfish up above and the modern sunfish down below and they are indeed living fossils so 50 odd something year million years of supposed evolution and sunfish have turned into sunfish Um, so there we go good piece of evidence Uh, that the Bible is actually true because, of course, in Genesis chapter 1, 10 times it says that God created creatures to reproduce after their own kind. And that's exactly what we see. from the fossil record so there's a uh, pretty spectacular piece of evidence this lovely lovely fossil sunfish here and uh, i had to get all the camera set out and ready for uh, a few diagrams we're going to be using today to do with the flat earth so um i thought i might as well show you this rather beautiful fossil while we do that okay the format today is going to go as such we're dealing with the flat earth as our main topic uh, we've dealt with the flat earth a, a number of times before in our ask john Mackay site as well as we were asked specifically by a church who had about three elders within their congregation who believed in a flat earth could we come and talk and deal with the flat earth as well in their congregation um, we've also done some presentations elsewhere i think we've touched on it briefly before on Creation conversations, but this is our first full program just to do with the flat earth. So, there are two real major categories when it comes to the flat earth. The first thing is the question of the science is a flat earth observable? Is a spherical earth observable? What does the science and the physics behind it teach? What does history teach? Well, history could come as a second class, uh, you know, have did the ancients really believe in a flat earth and all that kind of stuff? But the second or third category is also the biblical emphasis. And this is particularly relevant to creation research because you'll find... Very often when you come across Christians who believe in the flat Earth or Christians who promote the idea of a flat Earth, one of the biggest arguments is, well, the Bible teaches that the Earth is flat, therefore we have to believe it. And any promotion of a spherical Earth is just the governments and NASA and secular scientists trying to dupe us, just like they've duped us with evolution. So is the flat Earth really comparable to evolution? Um, is this idea of a spherical Earth comparable to evolution, which Group of people has been duped, which group of people have got it confused. So that's what we're going to try and dive down into today. And the way we're going to do this, we've got three presenters, main presenters, Glenn, Diane, and myself. Sam will be jumping in and out of the questions as well. So, yes, as always, keep your questions coming in because even though we're doing a slightly different format uh, and we're doing an hour and a half and diving straight in, we're still going to have plenty of time for questions. So get your questions in. The queue with your question helps us to find it, and Sam can. Organize that all as we go. Glenn is going to kick us off to begin with, and he's going to deal with predominantly the biblical side of things. Then we're going to have a short break for questions and we're going to go over to Diane and Diane is going to deal with some of the scientific side of things, mostly based off of the Ask John Mackay site uh, where we've dealt with this in a number of questions and answers. Then we're going to have another little break before we have a little video to watch that Sam's going to introduce, uh, which is very funny. And then I'm going to take the last section because what I'm going to do is kind of have a bit of a recap, of some of what Glenn will say about the Bible, a bit of a recap about what Diane has got to say about the science, and a little bit of a mention about the historical side of things before really bringing it all together and giving you the important biblical point, um, and whether or not this is simply just a distraction so it should be a good program controversial program for sure but then we don't shy away from controversy and enjoy as we go forwards we're going to go to glenn first uh so glenn if you want to get your slides up and i'll pull up your um
3: all right i was going to start start talking first i was just going to say i got um confronted with flat earth first Uh, about four years ago shortly after joe i met joe and john in east tennessee and we did fossil digs i was at a homeschool conference and ken ham was speaking and i wanted to introduce myself to him so i went up there after the talk and um a, a woman cut cut me off right in front of me as after i'd been waiting there for a while and she asked him if he believed in a flat earth and he said no so she ask him some science aspects of it and he addressed those then she started in on the bible she never let up and she took up all of his time for all the questions she was so um, insistent that the earth was flat and she was really uh, convinced of it and then uh, about two years ago when i started speaking for creation research uh, i started finding other members of my church ones that i really uh, respected that believed in the flat earth. So that's what brought me to um, really start looking into it more recently. And what I found was that it's really growing in popularity. Survey a few years ago, about three years ago, no, it's been five years ago now. (laughs) um, It said that 2% of Americans believe in the earth is flat. Now that doesn't sound like much, but that's 7 million people and another 5% are not convinced that it's round. Um, and then if you look at the millennials, the survey found that one-third of millennials believe the earth is flat. So that's that's really significant. And the, the question is, how did they come about this belief? And what I've read from multiple sources is that it's really attributed to a couple of videos that were on youtube back in 2015 2016 that really got this going again you know it's been their belief forever um, but this recent surge is because of really an algorithm in the youtube that they attached the youtube video to certain you know, controversies, and one of those is that about the, the moon and was the lunar landing fake, so when people would look at that, then they would find the flat earth, and then their algorithms found that as it grew, they promoted it more, and they made it accessible, so basically, the algorithm itself just, just blew up uh, the interest in, in the flat earth, but not all believe um, the same thing among the flat earthers. You know, I was aware of that. The Earth is a is a disc, uh, you know, with this circle, and that they believe that the Antarctica is around the outer edge. But that's not what all of them uh, believe. Many of them believe that it's actually not a disc, but it's an infinite plane. It's a 2D plane that goes on uh, forever, and then. Others believe that the earth has this flat earth, but there's a dome over it. And even some that believe in that dome, the stars are literally painted on, on the dome. And then I found this one that's really strange, um, the donut-shaped earth. So th- there's all different, um, different ideas behind the flat earth. They don't all have the same idea. There's a, there's a lot of differences among them. But what I also found was that uh, they come from all different types. The ones that I've met or and know were very educated, very smart uh, people. One of the resources that I found, I, I like this quote. Uh, the person said, this is what got them interested into checking it out. Said, a friend of mine who's got a doctorate in biochemistry has a sister who's also very intelligent, very well educated, that is a flat earther. So... You may not know anyone that's a flat earther and you may think, well, you know, that's a crazy theory. I spoke with my sister and brother-in-law two weeks ago while I was at their cabin doing research on this and they were just like, this is crazy. It's like, no, there's many very, you know, smart education, all levels of backgrounds, political views, everything that have uh, believing in the flat earthers. So we need to take a real serious look into into why. Now, one person at our church contacted me and said, look, there is a group within the flat earthers that are really targeting the military veterans, recruiting them. And basically, one of the target groups is just anybody who has felt like um, politicians are lying to them, scientists are lying to them, doctors are lying to them. So it's this feeling of, well, who do we trust? And I guess my question is, okay, you know, I speak regularly about how uh, about evolution, and don't trust the the science. Don't trust the scientists because it's largely interpretation. Uh, I know in today's environment, after COVID, a lot of us, myself included, have some issues with trusting m- the medical profession. Even though Diane's on here today, and I trust her. Yesterday, my wife had hundred and three point eight fever, and we're a long ways off. Well. I trust a doctor friend of mine who came to check her out. So the question is, who do you go to to trust? You're gonna reject these views of scientists. We're gonna show the scientific views in a little while, but then you're putting your trust into the internet and what you read on the internet. Um, So we're gonna talk about my biggest concern with it is because who do I trust? I go to the Bible. I believe in the scriptures. Well, 52% of those that are believing in the flat earth in America consider themselves to be very religious people. So even those that are consider themselves believers in, in the Bible or believing in the scriptures. And so um, we need to address it, but we got to be careful because as one of the things I read warned, many of those that are getting into discussions with them to try to convince flat earthers that the earth is round it's spherical um end up doing more harm than good because the the arguments are so esoteric and off the wall and there's so many different versions of the flat earth beliefs and they gave this example um talking about gravity now newton described gravity as a force of attraction between two bodies and the magnitude of the attraction was related to the mass of the objects and the distance between them so You might think, well, if the Earth is flat, there's not much mass there. It's this thin sheath of the the surface. And so if there's no mass, then there's no gravity. So how does the Earth have gravity? Well, the flat earthers oftentimes will say, well, gravity is just an illusion. Instead of objects accelerating downward at 9.8 meters per second, they'll say, well, the disk is accelerating upward at 9.8 meters per second squared. Um, and you may think, ah, well, we've got you there because if the earth is accelerating upward, then you know, you're gonna reach this, the speed of light. And they, they will say, yes, but um, that you don't have them um, because they're gonna say, well, Einstein showed in his theory of relativity is that as you approach the speed of light, Time itself slows down, so there's plenty of time for the Earth to continue to move upward. Um, so they just feel like, well, you just convinced us that the Earth is flat, instead of us convincing them that no, gravity shows that it that it's not. Um, and even when you take the, this argument of gravity, physicists today are trying to explain, really, what causes gravity. The physicists themselves... Don't have a working explanation for it. So, you know, it's a it's a tough. What are you what are you shooting at? Is oftentimes a moving target. And I can tell you, as someone who likes to shoot at targets, at which Joe and I did when Joe was visiting with me. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that. Um, it's tough to hit a target when it's moving. It's hard enough, isn't it, Joe, when it's sitting still and you're you're aiming at it.
1: But, yes all of, all of your targets thankfully were stationary so
3: yes <laughs> it, it would have been really tough if we'd have made those objects move but just tried picturing shooting at a disappearing target and that's kind of how it is oftentimes with trying to convince someone um that the earth is not flat and i'm going to leave that really for diane uh, and joe to try to do that and hit those moving targets but i'm going to Talk about the one that I'm most concerned about, and that is where do you go to for truth? I try to teach people, you go to the scriptures. What does the scriptures say? Because the sum of God's word is is truth. Uh, every one of his righteous ordinances is, is everlasting. So I went to and started looking up well, what are the Bible verses that, that they use to support a flat earth. Now, I found one source that has over 200 Bible verses They claim support a flat earth. I've gone through all of those, reading the explanations. Um, another one had these 15, and I thought these 15 really encompass the, the whole uh, of the argument. So if you have another verse, if you're a flat earther and you have another verse out there that I missed, I'm sorry, but I think these encompass uh, pretty much the explanation. So when you're looking at scriptures, you have to remember that the... The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It was fairly recent in history that it was translated into English. And some of those words have multiple meaning, such as the earth. The Hebrew word Eretz has multiple meaning. Um, It can mean planet or it can mean the soil, which I like because I'm a soil scientist, of course, but it can also mean the inhabitants. And so you've got to be careful and you get to go back to the hebrew and really study the hebrew now i'm not a hebrew scholar but i have a multiple resources that i go to i have my hebrew greek keyword study bible i have bible hub on my um, phone and i look back at the hebrew and that's what we're going to try to do we're going to look at some of these 15 verses but keep in mind of these 15 Bible verses, none of them describe the shape as a disc, as a flat earth. So Let's look at some of these most common ones. These first ones, the word for earth means land. So this is one of the ones they use. For the foundations of the earth or the Lord's. On them he has set the world. Does that say that it's flat? No, it's talking about the foundations of the of the earth, of the land. Um, He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. So even if you say, okay, well, this says the earth is flat, which it does not, um, then you're talking about the earth is a square because it talks about the four quarters, uh, the four corners. No, that's not the correct interpretation of the original Hebrews is talking there about the four pillars, the pillars of the earth. Um, He unleashes his lightning beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. Again, it doesn't say the earth is is flat. We're going through there. And when the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. And this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Again, these do not give us any uh, indication of what the shape of the land is. They certainly don't support a flat earth. Then you can use uh, the same word, Eretz, to mean the planet. Uh, here in Job, he says he views the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens, under the space. He stretches out the north over the void, which means empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Yen, they do not say that it's, it's flat. And here's a key one. Isaiah says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy, spreads them out like a tent to live in. Well, this word circle, Uh, really means roundness. It's the Hebrew word for K-H-U-G, Kog, or Kog, and it means a, a roundness. Now, you can get a disc by a 2D plane sliced through a sphere, but the Hebrew originally is better interpreted as a roundness. And it's interesting that the flat earthers will use that same word in another reference in Job 22.14 to infer that there is this vault or dome and that that dome is round. Well, it's the same word, uh, and that's how they get that there is a flat earth but with a round dome over it. Um, So it's an inconsistency of using it and how they use it other places Matthew again the devil took him to a very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms and that word really means kingly power of the word of the world and that means the abode of man and their splendor here earth and world it's talking about inhabitants not the land not the planet but the inhabitants First Chronicles 16:30 says tremble before him all the earth all the inhabitants the world, that means the inhabited land, is firmly established. It cannot be moved. That God is in control. Um, this one at the bottom, I've got part of it covered up. It says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world, the inhabitants, I can't even see the rest of it, are secure. Um same's true here here he talks about job he marks out the horizon on the face of the waters for a boundary between light and darkness i was there when he set the heavens in place when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep this is in a reference to genesis 1 verses 1 through 3 where it talks about the earth was formless and void that it was water and water by itself has no um has no form it had to be god that then gave it form and we see that that form was this roundness so also in job it says can you join him in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast iron i mean do we do we think that this dome then the sky is as hard as cast bronze surely not so you can take these words and use them out of context but in none of these cases Does it support that the earth is flat? So what are they doing with a lot of these verses? Well, they're either the verses have nothing to do with the shape of the earth, and that includes the other 185 verses that they claim there's 200 verses that support a flat earth. None of them have anything to do with the shape of the earth, or they're very vague in relation to the shape of the earth but most often these are verses that they've taken the original Hebrew and twisted its translation to support that it says the earth is flat. But there isn't a single one that in any way suggests a flat earth. So if you want to believe that the earth is flat, that's fine, but don't do it and say, well, the Bible says it because there isn't that support for the flat earth so you need to then base it on well observations which is science and that is what um diane's gonna speak about so joe i need to turn it back over to you oh. uh let me go back to you I was muted, that was right okay,
1: great stuff, thank you for that there um, right. appreciate that Glenn that was a good start for what we needed so uh, <laughs> let's see, where are we now we're about 20, but let's go on to uh, Diane's presentation before we have a bit of a Q&A um, and a session and when I start to wrap things up so let's see here uh, Diane, let's get you up and going do you want your slide straight away
2: Yes. Yes. Thanks. Mm. Great stuff.
1: All right. Slides are up now, Diane. So over no, to you.
2: That's good. Yes. Um, this, uh, as uh, Joseph mentioned, this this is a question that was sent into the uh, Ask John Mackay site. So you can go and read it, um, but I'll just uh, go through it. And uh, it was: Does the Bible say that the Earth is flat? are the pictures showing around Earth from space, real. Now, of course, we live in in an age where you have digital composites and computer simulations, um, and a lot of the um, the modern-day pictures that you can get off the NASA website uh, showing the Earth uh, are digital composites. Um, But we need to go back into a little bit of history and... uh, some of us are actually old enough to remember when this photo was published. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, back in um, in the late 1960s and early 70s, uh, I can speak from personal experience, it was yes. an exciting time to be growing up, actually. And I remember seeing this photo being published on the front page of the, the uh, newspaper where, where I lived, and it was probably published on the front page of every newspaper all over the world. Uh, And uh, it's probably the most reproduced photo uh, in all of the world because it was originally published at the end of 1972. And uh, it was taken by the NASA astronauts on the, this was the last expedition to the moon in 1972. And you can actually, there is a transcript of the sort of chatter that goes on between the um, uh, the early astronauts and and the uh, the NASA base in Houston. It's quite interesting to read sometimes, but anyway, this was um, a comment made by Eugene Cernan. Um, I know we're not the first to discover this, but we'd like to confirm from the. Uh, uh, from the uh, cr- the crew of Apollo seventeen that the world is round. Now I'm very pleased that he said that we are not the first to discover this, because in fact, as uh, Glenn has just reminded us, um, the Bible actually says that the earth is round and uh, and there, there's that word that Glenn was referring to, the circle of the earth. So the prophet Isaiah, Uh, Right, we're talking about a a few thousand years before uh, Eugene Cernan. Right, he sits above the circle of the earth uh, and that's where that that particular Hebrew word, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, chog or whatever, is there, meaning roundness. So uh, Eugene Cernan was right. They weren't the first to discover it, but they did get a good look at it and they took one photo on a film camera and we have to remember <laughs> that uh, back in 1972, people took photos on film cameras. And to be able to uh, get a photo like that um, by, uh, photo proce- by the sort of photo processing you could do um, would be extremely difficult. Uh, <clears throat> nothing like what we can do with digital photos these days. Now, if you read the rest of that transcript, the next comment is quite interesting as well. Uh, Eugene Cernan went on to say, and there's no strings holding it up either. It's out there all by itself. Well, an even older um, commentary from the Bible uh, says the same thing there. He suspends the earth over nothing uh, in the book of Job, um, which is possibly the oldest book in the Bible um, and certainly written uh, in uh, several thousand years ago. So, yes, um, our modern experience actually confirms what the Bible has been saying, has been telling us for thousands of years. Now, this is another famous photo. It's usually reproduced with um, uh, at a 90 degree angle here with the surface of the moon on the bottom and uh, the earth uh, coming up after that. And it's often referred to as the earth rise photo. Uh, it was taken by Bill Anders, uh, so this is even earlier in uh, December 1968. Um, that's where we also got that famous recording of the astronauts reading from Genesis 1 as they went round the back of the moon and then emerged from from the other side. Um, and uh, as you can see, it was 24th of December, so it was the uh, it was Christmas Eve, and. Uh, it was interesting of all of the things that they could have said when they went round the back of the moon and emerged for the first time in history that they chose to read in the beginning god created and and read uh, about half of genesis 1 there but anyway this this photo was taken uh, mm. and this is how they took it it's usually reproduced at 90 degree angle and called earth rise which is which is a nice idea But the other interesting thing is notice the curve uh, on the right-hand side there, that that shadow. Now, again, Glenn referred to that. Um, This is what's called the terminator, right, where you go from light to dark. And it's quite a a sudden abrupt change. Now, the only way you can get that is if you have light shining on a solid sphere, uh, not onto a flat disk. Uh, and so this is a, a modern one, but it shows it very, very clearly that uh, curved Earth. And uh, again, the Book of Job, one of the oldest uh, oldest writings that we have, uh, that's included in the Scripture. He inscribed a circle on the, and there's that that same word meaning roundness on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. Um, and th- there's also a similar passage. In, in Proverbs. And the only way you can get that, um, and you can do this as an experiment yourself with just a, a get a fairly large ball and shine a light on it and see that you can get that that edge. And this is the important thing with the science. You don't need to do any clever, fancy physics. We can experience the roundness of the Earth with some simple experiments that we can do here on the ground. Uh, or close to the ground. And that's one of the things we like to do at Creation Research is uh, is show you that you can go out and do your own science, whether it's digging up fossils or observing rock layers or looking at at living things. Um, It it doesn't require a a lot of fancy equipment or a lot of clever physics and, uh, um, and theoretical knowledge. So let's just briefly have a look at uh, an idea that uh, the ancient people believed that the world was flat because we have this um, uh, assumption that the ancient people were somehow um, stupid or ignorant and they believed all sorts of things. In fact, the ancient people were extremely clever. And uh, this is a uh, a famous uh, Greek, uh, Eratosthenes, and he did an experiment to work out the, um, the size of the Earth. Now, notice it was already assumed that the Earth was round. Otherwise, he wouldn't have bothered doing this experiment. His, his purpose in doing this experiment was to actually measure the circumference of the Earth. Now, you wouldn't do that if you didn't think that the Earth was already round. And so he did this experiment and you can notice that's a couple of hundred years uh, in the third century B.C. And uh, what he did was to look at um, the shadows of uh, a pole and um, at different places sort of north and uh, south from one another in Egypt um, and look at the differences in the lengths of the shadows. Now we won't go into all of the the, um, the maths of this. <laughs> um, it's a bit too early in the morning for maths for me, and it's probably a bit too late at night for for maths uh, over in the UK. The but the point is that uh, you there are differences in the uh, length of the shadows, and that can be explained. Um, by the fact that the earth is round. Now, this is a simple experiment and you can do it yourself these days. Um, you can look up how to do it and you can do exactly that sort of experiment. Uh, but later on, Joseph has um, a, a simple uh, demonstration of how you can do this. So you can do the science in in looking at the shape of the earth on the ground um, by yourself, just using simple simple maths and simple equipment, um, but we do experience roundness in in other ways. Um, now, uh, particularly <coughs> now that we go flying all around the uh, all around the world. Now, if you were to fly from Europe to the um, east coast of the United States or the other way round, from the east coast of the United States over to Europe, um, you go up the uh, east coast of, uh, of Canada, um, just skirt the uh, tip of Greenland and Iceland and then come uh, over to Europe. Now if the earth was flat that would be a curve uh, and, in fact, it looks like a rather indirect route. You think, well, these days people want to save fuel and they want to save time. You know, flying an aeroplane across the Atlantic Ocean, surely there is a more direct route to go. Well, in fact, that is the most direct route. It's what's called a great circle route. And uh, and it becomes a straight line if you uh, connect it on a spherical Earth. So on the right here, we have the the connection between the East Coast uh, of the US and uh, and Northern Europe there. And on a spherical Earth, yes, that is a straight line. That is the shortest route. And the people who actually calculate how much fuel and how much time is involved in making that trip are going to go for the shortest route they can and the most... um, uh, the most convenient and the least costly route they can and yes that's it um, and these are called great circle routes and it's really good f- uh, and ships use it as well. It uh, works well flying over the ocean of course it's uh, a, you can't always do it if your route is going to take you over a lot of land because then you're overflying other people's countries and there are various political and and other reasons for uh, for not taking a great circle route um So that's something that uh, people experience today. Um, in the Second World War when radar was first invented and used as a way of detecting um, uh, planes coming in, um, <clears throat> there was uh, if you flew very low, uh, you could actually, Escape detection until you got quite close to your target. Now, these days, of course, we have uh, other technologies for um, tracking planes all over the world. However, so we, uh, you can't really do that these days with the sort of military aircraft. Um, but uh, it did lead to an interesting, um, uh, an interesting saying that has come into the language, and that is flying under the radar. And that's literally where it came from uh, in the early days of, um, of military flying and of uh, ra- radar detection. And so that, that term flying under the radar, that's where it came from, uh, from the fact that the Earth is round. And you could, if we just go back, you could actually fly under the radar for a certain um, until you got quite close to your original target. Uh, now, low flying also has its other sorts of hazards. Um, but uh, it's become it's become a term in in common parlance in English, and uh, I have a friend who uh, was a who did long haul flying for for many. He's now he's now retired, but he he flew uh, long haul routes all over the world, and he described a similar situation. This isn't to do with radar, but of course uh, planes do still communicate by just ordinary radio transmission and they communicate with the ground stations. And he said it was very interesting. There were uh, in some places where he could communicate with other aircraft that were further away from a ground station that he was unable to contact. And so... You can imagine here we've got two aircraft and the aircraft on the left there cannot communicate with the ground station but it can communicate with a plane that is even further away and that is simply because uh, the radio waves of course travel in straight lines so the plane above the earth is above the curve but the ground station is below the curve and until they fly the first aircraft flies over the curve it can't communicate with the ground station. And uh, and so that's a phenomenon that uh, pilots can observe uh, these days. So there are lots of simple things of everyday experience and simple experiments that we can do where we experience the roundness of the Earth without having to know any clever theoretical physics um, or uh, <coughs> any uh, clever clever scientific experiments that involve a lot of technology. And so uh, Joseph will show us a a simple way of doing that experiment that that they did back um, in in Egypt thousands of years ago. And uh, as uh, Glenn said, the Bible has a lot to say about the earth. Uh, One of my favourite verses actually is that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Or I like the version that says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So everything on earth belongs to the Lord, and therefore that's where we should look for knowledge and wisdom about anything, even if it is about the shape of the earth. And if we can come back to us now, um, uh, are we going to move on to some questions? Uh...
1: I think that sounds like a good idea. Yes, let's bring you back to us. And then... uh... Yes. There we go. And uh, let's move on to a few questions because I do see it's been nice and lively in the uh, the live chat, which is exactly what we want. So thank you very much, everybody, who's engaged in that. Uh, Let's have a few questions then before we uh, watch a short video and then if we... go on to my little section there so sam over to you for a few questions all right well
0: we've got a thank you to give out first from doki doki of course coming in strong with 149 us buckaroos a red box of popcorn thank you very much doki uh right okay so let's go into our first question here this comes in from free speech matters Uh, there's a question here that says how popular was the flat earth theory around the time of darwin
1: Um, Not very popular. We'll go into a little bit of the history of flat earth uh, belief. Um, It certainly wasn't uh, extremely popular in the um, ancient times as much as uh, people would like to believe. In fact, even in the middle of the dark ages, you have the venerable Bede declaring that based on scripture, and our observations that uh, it was a spherical Earth, so um, that's sort of you know middle of Dark Age of Saxon times. Uh, you'll find that one of the earliest references to a, a flat Earth that you can find was actually one of the Church Fathers, and his argument for a flat Earth was that we have to reject all of the Greek philosophers. Now the Greek philosophers had a uniformitarian thinking, uh, a thinking of the present is the key to the past. They had a belief in what you could call pseudo evolution or proto. Um, Auto-evolution perhaps is a better a better term. Um, the idea that all creatures could arise spontaneously, that you could have life come from non-life, that given enough time you could have hopeful creatures which would eventually evolve on into other creatures. So really the foundations of evolution. And uh, it went hand-in-hand hand with the belief that the Earth was millions of years old. And so his argument was we need to reject the Greek philosophers and all of their theories, uh, including the concept yeah. that the Earth was a sphere or spherical in shape. And so he said, well, if we get rid of the Greek philosophers, then uh, it must be flat. So it was a um, kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of philosophy. uh, Get rid of everything without really thinking it through. Uh, You'll find that by the time you get to the early 1800s, the majority of people do not believe in a flat earth at all but certainly a mm-hmm. spherical one, and it never really was a great uh, big concept mm-hmm. in the first place. Uh, then you'll find that a guy writes a book uh, about, a uh, guy called Washington who writes a book about the travels of Columbus. And even in his book, he writes that it is a mixture of fact and fiction, uh, right? You know, exciting adventures, so on and so forth. And to make the adventure sighting, even by his own admission, he claimed that Columbus was the only one out of all of the people at the time that believed the Earth was round and set off to prove it, which, of course, is uh, we know is (laughs) incorrect. based on he columbus's own writings and so by the time you get to the middle 1800s really about the time of darwin you do have a few people who are starting to pick up this idea of a flat earth based on the idea that people believed it in the past which is really a myth but the reality is the majority of people both before and up to the time of darwin did not believe in a flat earth at all and really it's only become a phenomena in the last little um you know really 20 sort of 40 plus years um it's it's come on extremely um it's become a lot more uh, common to find people promoting the flat earth in the last 10 years really so uh, it is rather a modern invention it has to be said
3: mm-hmm.
1: any other comments from the guys not on that one no not from me mm-hmm. anyway no I, right. think that, I think that covers cool. it well
0: Good, good. let have another question. Right. Uh, th- uh, we've got a thank you to give out for Neil Grindley coming in with 10 British Buckaroos. Hi, Creation Research Team and Chapters. Miss you, folks. Missed you too, Neil. Thanks for coming in. Good to in. see you, mate. And uh, this made me laugh as well. Uh, Neil said, if the world is flat, cats would have pushed everything over the edge by now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Very true. As any cat owner will tell you. Um, <laughs> right, okay. Uh, so this one uh, down here, um, this is interesting because I can actually... I can actually jump in on this one. So Noah's Fossil Farm says the Earth is four times bigger than the Moon, yet the picture from the Earth of the Earth from the Moon is very small. Do you not see this is nothing but CGI? Can I jump in on this one?
1: Go for it. You certainly Please can go yeah. for it. I mean I've I've seen CGI from the sixties and it's um <laughs> it's, it's, it's mostly big blocks, but anyway, go for it. Sir. All right,
0: then. Well, I'm going to share my screen uh, because I need to take you on a little journey. Uh, so I'm going to share this here. There we go. And put this full screen. Maximize there. There we go. Uh, right. OK, so here you can see a picture, a comparison of the size of the Earth and the Moon relative to each other. This isn't accurate in terms of distance. This just gives you an idea of the scale. Now, um, basically, uh, it's a a matter of size and distance. So the the Apollo Lunar Module, um, shown in this image uh, here, uh, this one here, um, is very close to the surface of the moon, a couple hundred uh, kilometers away, uh, but it's very far away from Earth. It's around about 360,000 kilometers. Um, But the distance of the camera to the moon is much bigger um, in this image, um, compared to obviously where the Earth is, so the Moon is very, very tiny when compared to the Sun. Um, but also at a total solar eclipse, the Moon covers the whole Sun when we see it from the surface of the Earth. And at an uh, like a, an annual uh, eclipse, the Moon is much farther away from the Earth; and it doesn't actually cover the whole Sun. So the distance from Earth to the Moon is much smaller than that from the Earth to the Sun. So even you know on a on a summer's day, you can your thumb can cover the sun when you stretch out your arm, even though the sun is massive compared to the Earth and the Moon. Um, But the Earth may look much smaller, even uh, smaller than a single pixel, depending on where you are in space. Um, So this is uh, the famous uh, pale blue dot picture um, taken on February 14th, 1990 by Voyager 1 space probe from a record distance around about 6 billion kilometers, about 3.7 billion miles. So I don't know if you can see, so I can uh, zoom in. So that is Earth there. So that is very, very tiny. So size is <laughs> yeah. completely relative. Uh, size, uh, well, distance is completely relative to, and, and obviously um, size as well. So the further away you are, the smaller something will seem. Um, but yeah, so there it also as well, um, it, that is a picture of the Moon and the Earth taken by the lunar orbiting Chinese satellite y- uh, Longjiang 2. Um, so the similarity of the size of the Earth to the Apollo picture. Um, the Chinese satellite is farther away from the Moon than the Apollo modules were when this picture over here was taken Um, but it just gives you an idea just how far away the moon is from the earth and just how much power there is because obviously the moon controls the tides so there you go Mm -hmm. that's just a nice little thing from me.
1: You can test the same perspective things by yourself because it is relative Mm -hmm. in a shorter scale as well so you can get you know scale balls and do the same thing and you'll find that it is really a a a perspective case yes. in this in this system if you are the other side of the moon as soon as you start traveling further away from the moon um the moon is going to start scaling itself to the earth right and so you're going to end up with a, a scale which is similar to how we view the moon from the earth so it's not the case that it's standing on the moon looking at the earth if you do that and you can see images of uh astronauts on the moon with the earth in the background it is much much larger than the moon appears to us down here on earth so be a little careful when you're selecting the kind of pictures to argue your case here uh, because perspective really is everything um all right sam let's have another question all
0: right then uh let's have a look see on here and uh, so this one's an interesting one this one comes in from young Yahoo. Yahoo says uh, Michael Heiser said the Bible taught flat earth. Do you know Hebrew better?
3: I'll take that. I said, no, I'm not claiming that I know the Hebrew better, but we have the same resources. I have got my Bible. I've got my Hebrew Greek study Bible, which is goes back to the original words and keep in mind that in our Bible it's uh, you know an interpretation we've got resources now Bible Hub is what I use oftentimes um to get to the original Hebrew and I just challenge you go back look at the scriptures do your own search you don't need a degree in Hebrew to see what the original words were and their various usages of them and what you'll find is you're not going to find any that are going to support saying that the earth is flat you will see ones that say that he inscribed a a circle in that hebrew word was a roundness uh, on the face of the earth and so look do it yourself as we were talking earlier uh, of the pictures you know you can get your phone out and you can take pictures at different scales this morning i saw a deer in my backyard and i took a picture of it and it came out as a little dot so i zoomed in and took another picture the scale changes well you can do that you've got resources to look at the scriptures yourself um keeping in mind you know there's various ones in clergy that are in seminaries that are professors that we disagree with on the interpretations of the scriptures we believe in creation. There's many that believe in evolution. I think they've been compromised. So we go back to what does the scripture say and what do the observations show us? That's what Diane presented earlier. Sam and Joe are going to present some more scientific evidences as well.
2: Yeah, I think one of the other things, oh, excuse me, we need to is always keep things in their context and always keep things within the big picture of the Bible. And that was the important point that you made, Glenn, and I think we need to keep on reiterating that, not only with the flat earth but with the whole um, issue of creation and evolution. Um, the, ne- never ever pull things out and look them look at them in isolation. Um, always yeah. put things back into their context and into the big picture uh, of the h- whole sweep of the Scriptures. Yes. Hmm.
1: All right, great stuff. Um, Sam, let's have another question.
0: All right, then. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, Let's choose one. Do, 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 do. Uh, this one comes in from Andrew Morrison on Facebook. I have lurked in flat earth groups. There seem to be many sincere Christians in there. It feels like they're generally hyper-literal and generally kjv only folk uh what approach have you found most fruitful in steering them out of the flat earth philosophy
3: well i can tell you um ken ham wasn't very successful with one that would be very much like that um i think the best is trying to get people to think for themselves uh do a lot of challenge them to pray about it and search the scriptures themselves Many of the arguments that you read uh, sound really good until you really start digging into the science behind them. And you find that that there are always a a lot of truth with just a little bit of a twist. And that little bit of a twist makes all the difference. Um, So really study it for yourself. We're not going to be able to convince you, but we challenge you to convince yourself. We're going to give you some evidences, um, but you need to search search yourself. But where are you going to go to for truth? Because it sounds like your alternative is going to the Internet. And we know how always right the Internet is.
1: That's great, uh, Glenn. Let's have... Um... One or two more quick questions, Sam, before we move on. I know there's lots and lots of questions that come in and we may have to uh, look at um, a way of, um, might have to look at uh, dealing with some more of these questions mm. in, a, uh, in, a, in a future um, Q&A mm. episode, but we'll see.
0: Uh, right. we've got some thanks to give out first. We've got Lynn Colson coming in with 30 New Zealand buckaroos. Thank you so much, Lynn, and of course, Doki Doki coming in with a hamburger for 149 US buckaroos. Thank you so much. Um, all right, okay, so we got a. Do, 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 do. I'm trying to select a, a, a quick question, they all seem very interesting. Well, how, about, how about
1: this one? I've seen I've seen this one here. Um, let's see, i I saw, saw it here. So, can go get this one? Um Creationists do a good job of debunking the mainstream argument of the theory of evolution, thank you very much, but then defend the mainstream theory of heliocentrism, that's uh, sun in the centre and the earth going round it, which is sun worship. Why is that? Um, There's a couple of reasons. And i'll uh, just run through a few of them and then throw it open to uh, to the group to comment on it um number one uh, if you're dealing with something like evolution you are dealing with something which is essentially historical science as with anything that is historical science you are relying on a number of assumptions now your predominant assumption throughout the theory of evolution is that the present is the key to the past. If you look at the development of the theory of evolution in the last sort of 200 years, um, you'll find that it started really with Charles Lyell. Charles Lyell promotes the present is the key to the past. In doing so, he promotes the idea of millions of years of a very, very old Earth, which allows Darwin to walk in the door and say, well, if the Earth is really that old, therefore the Bible can't be true, so we need a new theory of origins. And if the world really is that old, then given enough time, small amounts of change can equal to large amounts of change, and throw in a bit of magic of spontaneous generation, and uh, you end up with the theory of evolution. Okay, the purpose of the theory of evolution, the reasoning behind uniformitarianism, well, Charles Lyell admitted it openly, quote-unquote, my aim is to free science from Moses. So you'll find that the theory of evolution and deep time are inherently anti-God, inherently anti-Christian, and as a result, they are challengeable. You can actually challenge something because neither you nor I were there to observe the past, so we have to take it from an eyewitness who was there namely God's word, right? But we can still do experiments in the present to extrapolate into the past, so long as you understand and recognize that there will always be assumptions in that. When it comes to heliocentrism, you have a a couple of things in our favor. Number one is observation, uh, as we've spoken about a lot of things with... um, Diane so far. Uh, You can observe a lot of this. You can use physics, which is an observable piece of evidence to extrapolate. Uh, Secondly, the guy who really promoted heliocentrism to begin with, Nicholas Copernicus, was a Christian was a creationist, uh, and actually believed that God had created the whole world in six days, just like he said he did in the Bible. So you'll find that the origins of these two theories are very, very different for sure. Nicholas Copernicus really put his neck on the line um, by, by trying to go against the idea of geocentrism and arguing for heliocentrism, and he didn't really have any empirical evidence for it. His evidence was purely based off of Mathematics. Now, mathematics is great because mathematics is absolute. Uh, You know, one plus one will always equal two, no matter what you want to uh, believe about the world around you. Mathematics is absolute. And he was arguing from the simplicity of mathematics uh, that the Earth, uh, that the Sun is at the center and the Earth rotates around it. Um, Okay, when do we start getting empirical evidence? The answer is Kepler who uh, was also a creationist, also believed in the Bible, and then you end up with um, people like Galileo as well, with the invention of telescopes and other observational data, who was also a Christian and a creationist as well. Um, So you really do start to end up with the fact that it was christians and bible believing creationists who actually use their god-given uh brains uh, as we are told in the bible to love god with all of our heart our soul and our mind we are commanded to think and based out of scripture and the observations put the two together and you end up with good evidence of a number one spherical earth, number two sun in the center, earth going around the sun. And we can talk about arguments like the earth shall not be moved and so on and so forth, right? Um, but that's what you get if you start with scripture and you use your observations around you. If you look at evolution, it is starts with a rejection of scripture and you end up with a... Um, uh, we start with the rejection of scripture, extrapolate backwards using false assumptions, and you end up with deep time and evolution. So really, the two things are not comparable in any way, shape or form.
3: And did you notice, Joe, what the uh, person asking the question did? They they if they would have stopped it, uh, then defend the theory of, you know, the helocentralism. If they would have stopped it there, that would be fine. But they stuck in a comment that is not true. Um, that you're assuming that by us thinking that we're going around the sun, that we're worshiping the sun, uh, where's the connection and the proof that one equates with the other? I can assure you, I do not worship the sun in any way. I worship the Father who created the sun.
1: Indeed. All right. Um, I'm going to uh, dive into my section now. We've got about 30 minutes left, so uh, mine will hopefully be sort of 15 minutes or so. Actually, no, I'm not going to dive into my next section. Sam, over to you. Yeah.
0: I was going to say, Joe, yes. honestly, yeah. I did something special for you as well. I did a special edit based on your feedback. Um,
1: Thank you. Thank you. Um, but yes, um, looking so forward th- to this now.
0: Yeah, so um, so this is a uh, clip that's been taken from the uh, Netflix documentary, Behind the Curve, um, which has uh, been directed by Daniel J. Clarke. It was released released in the United States on November 15th, 2018, and for a wider release on Netflix in February 2019. Uh, the documentary details uh, ideas for Flat Earth from different perspectives, including predominant flat earthers, Mark Sargent and Patricia Sturr, as well as astrophysicists from universities, u- including UCLA and Caltech um but yeah so i'll just i'm just going to play this clip because it's pretty self-evident um and uh, yeah you'll you'll see see what i mean enjoy
1: we have a backup experiment if you're seeing through this hole through the next hole and seeing the light at the backboard or 17 feet off the water the earth is flat if he's holding it up at 23 feet high and we're seeing the light, well, that's because the Earth's curved. So I, I should only be able to see it when it's at 17 feet.
2: Okay, go ahead and drive down there, Enrique. You're going to hold the light there. Enrique, how high is your light? 17
1: feet. I mean, I, you know, it's just, um There's, we don't see you, Enrique. Lift up your, lift up your light way above your head. Interesting. Okay.
0: there we go I like it thank you Edi- Sam edited specially for Joe there you thank go
1: thank you I just say yeah well thank you um right, let me get my slides up if they're not already yes they are very good okay as Diane mentioned earlier um, we do have uh articles about this on our websites so go to creationresearch.net or any of our creation research websites will link you into there. And uh, you'll be able to uh, follow them through to more articles about it, which we won't be able to cover through everything today. But there we go. Um, All right. Who said this? Beware of false signs. It will lead you astray. The answer is the Apostle Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Oh, that's the John Mackay, Joe Hubbard paraphrase of it. But go and read 1 Timothy 6. Pay particular attention to... Verse 20, and if you're reading in your old King James Bible, you will find that word science there. Beware of science falsely so called. Um, You see, science is the old Greek word for knowledge. Beware of false science, beware of false knowledge, it will lead you astray. And it actually works both ways uh we often use this in reference to evolution right but it does work both ways as well just because something is accepted by uh, mainstream scientists doesn't actually make it wrong you need to be able to separate the false science from the true science. Oh, people can believe in both false science and true science at the same time. It's the way of the world, right? Uh, We're fallible human beings. Our goal is to start with scripture and separate the false science from the true science, because true science will always point us to Christ. Uh, It doesn't save us, but it's the big sign that will point us towards him. False science will lead you away from Christ. True science, real science, Correct science, true knowledge, real knowledge will point you towards Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, verse 160. Thy word is true from the very beginning. Yes, I love quoting from the King James Version. It's not the only version I use, but it really is beautifully poetic language. um, Written in the Old English, thy word is true from the very beginning. A challenge to you out there, do you really believe this? That God's word is true from the very beginning and that we can use God's word to interpret God's word and get to some rather interesting understandings of the world. All right, here I am in Australia back in 2018. Yes, it was uh, middle of winter, but still pretty warm out, sort of, you know, 25 to 30 degrees centigrade, depending on the time of the day. And we're out in the red centre. No prizes for guesses as to why it's called the Red Centre. And uh, in this particular place, we're between Uluru, or Ayers Rock, and uh, Karenjuta, or the olgers And you can see me standing next to John Mackay and some pretty big boulders. Oh, we've got some wonderful evidence because you see this whole deposit here is excellent evidence of a very large flood. How big? Well, big enough to pick up boulders, sometimes the size of cars, and shift them into place next to tiny little pebbles. I mean, that is a fast flowing mass of water. And by the way, this goes over most of the central of Australia, so it was a big, pretty big flood as well. But what are we doing there, aside from the research? Well, I got to do this. Climb up Uluru, or Ayers Rock, just about two months before it closed off for good for the public. Uh, there's a lot of politics going on. We actually dealt with that last week, right? Uh, about some of the politics going on behind Air's Rock. And Uluru and uh, the the indigenous people that live there and it's actually been shut down to any tourists climbing it since uh, the latter part of 2018 Uh, but I was one of the last people literally to be able to climb up it because they were shutting it down some days even though it wasn't officially supposed to be shut so we arrived in the middle of uh, Alice Springs and the locals who were looking after us for the time we were there said quick as Rock is open. We've got to go climb it. And so that's exactly what we did. And there you can see me at the top of Air's Rock. And boy, I tell you, the scenery was spectacular. You could see way, way, way over into the distance for sure. Now, interesting, we actually had a comment earlier about what was the furthest that you can see. Well, if I was down on the bottom of that rock, uh, the great big rock, and you had a pretty unbroken uh, uh, level of Earth, if the Earth was was relatively, um, the topography was relatively flat, you would find that your average eye could see around 5 kilometers at the most on the levelest amount, you could see maybe up to 15 to 20 kilometers. Of course, you elevate yourself above that, and you see for much further. And if there's an elevation far off ahead of you, um, you can see even further away because the elevation is helping you. It's one of the pieces of evidence that tells you that the Earth is actually a sphere. The fact that you could only take that longest photograph that was ever taken some 400 kilometers was actually taken by climbing up one of the highest mountains in the Alps and taking a photograph of one of the furthest mountains away. Um, Interesting kind of concept. But you can look over and see the horizon. And from the face of it, it looks fairly flat. And so it's kind of no wonder that people sometimes get confused or struggle or end up with the conclusion that the earth is actually flat. What we're going to deal with, I'm like I say, I'm going to mention one or two things that Diane has mentioned, one or two things that Glenn has mentioned, delve down a little bit deeper and uh, really begin to wrap it up. We're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at history. We're going to look at science. Starting with Job 26, verse 10. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. Ah, sound familiar? Well, you realize that there's only one shape for the Earth that could possibly be for this to actually be possible. And the answer is a sphere. Ah, there you see the circular boundary from the light and the darkness. It only works if the Earth is a sphere. It doesn't work if the Earth is a flat disk because the light would touch it at the same time. Interesting and you find that if you do fly up into the higher atmosphere you don't even need to go into deep outer space to be able to see the curvature of the earth and that thin band of atmosphere the much much denser band which is closer to the earth the thing which really sustains life he sits upon the circle of the earth isaiah 40 verse 22. now this is actually um one of the verses that Glenn mentioned earlier, right? Uh, And he actually dealt with it quite comprehensively uh, with regards to the Hebrew because some people get tripped up over this term circle. Of course, I hope you do realize that the scriptures weren't originally written in English. Nor were they originally written in Old English, as much as we love our King James Version. It does pay dividends sometimes to go back to the Hebrew and the Greek. And as Glenn did mention correctly earlier, now we're not claiming to know the Hebrew and the Greek better than other people, but we do have the same resources. You can pull out fairly easily your Greek or Hebrew lexicon and actually look and see what these words mean and what they infer. You see, there is a circular earth. Or is it? Well, it's certainly not two-dimensional. I mean, if you pick up a piece of paper and draw a circle on it, could that possibly ever be a representation of the Earth? No, it's three-dimensional, right? Uh, Two-dimensional, right? Um, Here's a, well, what could you call this, a cone-shaped Earth? That's not a circle, it's a cone. I mean, there's a circular aspect to it, but then there's a circular aspect to a spherical Earth as well. Let's dive a little bit deeper. What do we mean by this term circle? Well, there it is written out in the Hebrew um, and the, the kind of transliteration of it. What does it actually mean? Well, you can check this out in your own Hebrew lexicon. It's there in Strong's Concordance. It certainly does mean circle or circle can be an interpretation, but it can also refer to curvature, a vault, a sphere. It is actually a verb, not a noun, a verb inferring roundness. Now, by no means does it exclude a sphere, and by no means does it only mean circle, as in flat circle. And you'll find that under no circumstances does any flat earther believe that the Earth is purely a two-dimensional disk. We couldn't survive in it if it was. You see, when it says he sits upon the circle of the Earth, there really is no indication of a flat Earth. It indicates a spherical round Earth, which fits perfectly with every modern observation that we make. Again, my word is true from the very beginning. Start with God's word and then go to the observations. Well, let's have a look at history. Um, The Roman baths at Bath in the United Kingdom, uh, not too far away from Bristol in the south. Beautiful, great places built by the Romans, amazing architecture. And of course, the old belief is that the ancients believed in a flat earth. And that the flat earth was extremely prevalent in the past. And it was only really when modern scientific ideas like evolution came in that people started believing in a round earth. This is one of the arguments that flat earth proponents actually put forward. That uh, why would you want to reject the Bible believing Christians of the past and the fact that even the pagans believed in a flat earth? Well, let's have a look at what the ancients actually believed. Um, Here you can see... Uh, re, uh, uh, recovery this is the original by the way of one of the giant uh domes uh square, sort of triangle areas which would have been displayed at the entrance to one of the major baths and you can see in the middle there you have a representation of the sun oh uh, yeah a lot of these physical elements like the sun certainly was worshipped uh, as deities in the past um That's just the nature of mankind's sin. But what I'm particularly interested in is this little spherical object down in the bottom corner there. What is that? It's a Roman representation of the planet Earth. No flat Earth in sight. It's actually depicted as a sphere. And it's actually depicted not in the center. The sun's depicted in the center. Interesting. When was the last time you were taught that the ancient Romans believed in a heliocentric model with a spherical Earth? Ah, Well, they certainly did there's the evidence of it you see this idea that the ancients purely believed in a flat earth um, is really just a myth oh the geocentric model certainly was prevalent down throughout the middle ages but uh, that's a slightly different topic to one that we're dealing with today introducing a greek man uh, who lived quite a number of years ago and he's really credited with being able to use maths and observations to begin, first ever, to prove that the Earth was a sphere. And secondly, to even get an extremely accurate record of what the Earth's dimensions were. Oh, Diane mentioned him earlier. He actually calculated the circumference of the Earth very accurately, and he established principles that were still used today. Now, there's the uh, diagram that Diane showed. He was observing a well at Syene. He was observing a large pole at Alexandria, and uh, he was actually having a comparison between the two at a standard time of year. The time of year was the summer equinox, and by using some trigonometry and some very complicated things, he actually ended up coming to an estimate of between 39,000 kilometres and 46,000 kilometres for the Earth's um, circumference. The modern estimate is around 40,000, so fairly accurate for an ancient Greek. Now, this is using some rather technical trigonometry here, but, uh, Sam, if you put me up to full screen, if you wouldn't mind, I've got a simplified version of this. Yes, this is extremely simplified, but let me just come out of my PowerPoint and go back to the screen. There we go. I've got myself a little map here. It's a very crude map, and um, of ancient Egypt. You've got Alexandria up in the north, you've got Siena down in the south, and you've got a distance of approximately 664 miles. Um, And Alexandria sits around seven degrees north of Siena. Now, I'm going to bring up my other camera just here. Let's see if it works. Yes, it does. That's good. And that's in full screen. So that's even better. I'm just going to zoom out just a wee little bit and bring my microphone a little closer so you can still hear me. Now, I'm going to introduce an equation uh, to this map, which is a sun, a light source. And you can actually see, hey, it's casting a shadow. Now, here we have a flat Earth. You see the map? It's completely flat. Can you see the two shadows? They're both giving exactly the same length of shadow, which makes sense if the Earth is flat because the light source is coming from one direction and it's casting the same level of light. Now, what this Greek chap did is he observed shadows at one place. He observed shadows at a second place at the same time of year, the spring equinox, when the sun is exactly the same. Now, what he noticed is that at exactly the same time of day and exactly the same place, the shadows were not actually equal. The shadows were different. How could you explain this? Well, it's quite simple. If you introduce a curvature to the equation, let's get a little bit of a curved here, you will actually notice immediately that, hey, the shadows are different lengths. We have a curved playing field here. And the shadows closer to where the sun is, closer to the equator, are shorter. The shadows which are further away from the equator are longer. In fact, you can actually use the calculation of the degrees. You can use the length, the distance, the 664 miles, and then using some rather interesting trigonometry and some more complicated mathematics, you end up with the logical and complete conclusion that you are dealing with a spherical Earth. Now, this is a simple bring it back to me here now Sam it's a simple explanation um and really that's what Nicholas Copernicus did when he first began to promote the idea of a heliocentric um model it is using the simpler mathematics all right going back to my uh, PowerPoint slide Sam for me you see you end up with the overwhelming and undeniable conclusion that the ancients did not actually believe a flat Earth there was only very few that believed it during the Middle Ages. Uh, later than that, it was really based off of a fictional work on Columbus. Columbus himself believed in a round earth. That's why he was trying to get to the to the to India, right? And of course, he bumped into a rather large continent in the way. But most of medieval Europe actually believed in a spherical earth as well. So let's be really blunt here. Um, You have to be blunt sometimes. The modern idea that the ancients believed that the earth was flat is no more than a lie invented to falsely make us think modern man is superior. I mean, that's the reality of it. Hey, you can't believe the uh, ancients. You can't believe, uh, you know, it's really an evolutionary idea. The idea that man is getting more and more superior. The idea that man is getting increasingly intelligent. The modern idea that the ancients believed that the earth was flat is no more than a lie invented to falsely make us think that modern man is superior so let's deal a little bit with the science we've got a lot with the science today so far uh, we've spoken about military pilots we've looked at commercial flights you can actually see that you can trace these flights with their curvature just like Eager showed you you realize that curved flights make no sense unless the earth is also curved I mean, just fly in a straight line. Oh, and before you say all of the pilots are actually up in this as well, do you honestly believe that every single airline company, which are dying from COVID and the fact that nobody's really flying with them anymore are really going to go out of their way to fly longer distances when use a lot, lot more money purely to try and get everybody to be duped into a lie. Well, let's investigate that a little bit further for a second because you do have to ask your question things like, what is on the other side of this flat earth? I mean, again, you can't have flatters in two-dimensional. It needs to be three-dimensional. So are we dealing with a disk? So what's on the other side? Is it a cone like this? Well, none of them are inferred from the Bible. If you're going to use that as an argument for circle, then you can use a sphere as an argument for a circle as well. And you do have to question the conspiracy. Why are all the governments, even the ones that hate themselves, promoting an idea of a flat earth? Why would companies be spending billions upon trillions of dollars trying to promote a flat earth? How would they keep everybody quiet about it? I mean, is it by money? Is it by... You know capturing their family and holding them hostage what is going on behind the conspiracy i mean if watergate told us one thing it's the fact that a few men can't keep a secret um it's actually one of the biggest evidences that the gospel is true by the way if people were really trying to dupe people into believing that jesus rose from the dead the fact that you go from two people to four people to 12 people to a whole upper room full of people um, it really doesn't make sense How would you actually explain the entirety of the government's working together like this? Hmm. And let's go one step further and get into the biblical side of things as we begin to wrap up. Because ultimately what a flat earth does is question the attributes of God. I mean, if you want to use Bible verses, look at Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west. What's it referring to? how great God's grace is and how far away he can send your sins you realize on a spherical earth if you start traveling east you'll never reach it you can be traveling all your life if you start traveling west you'll never reach it you keep going round and round and round you see when the scripture says that God will throw your sins as far as the east is from the west it's making the point that it is blotted out that those sins are no more this is how great the grace of our God is course it makes absolutely no sense in a finite flat earth because you will end up coming to the end of east and you will end up coming to the end of west so actually your sins are still here you see an infinite flat earth questions god authority a finite flat earth questions god authority because if the earth is finite then your sins are still here if the earth is infinite then god created something that was equal to him because he is infinite ah It really is problematic when you get into the questions about God's attributes. So let's be blunt. There's nothing in Scripture that claims the earth is flat. Scripture actually supports a spherical earth. There's nothing in science that shows the earth is flat. Science confirms that the earth is spherical. So let's be very blunt. Christians caught up in the flat earth ideas have really been deceived by a well-argued lie designed by Satan to distract them from what's actually important. What is actually important? The gospel. I mean, ask yourself this, if you're a Christian and a flat earth believer, does the flat earth really have anything to do with the gospel? Whether the earth is flat or round? The answer is no. It really doesn't make any difference to the gospel. Does creation versus evolution make a difference to the gospel? Yes, it does. Because God, who is Jesus Christ, or Jesus Christ who is God rather, is also the creator. The creator, sustainer, and savior. So the creation in six days is absolutely a gospel issue. Therefore, it is tied into a salvation issue but the flat earth simply isn't. It's a well-argued lie designed by Satan simply to distract Christians from what's actually important, and that is spreading the gospel. So my challenge to you today, start with Psalm 119, thy word is true from the very beginning, and work out backwards. Um, I'm going to finish there because we are running out of time. We've got about five minutes left.
3: Um, I and would just gonna... say, Joe, that... Um my son who's a military pilot is getting ready to um step out of the military and he's going to still stay involved with them but he wants to fly uh commercially he's thinking of maybe starting a tourism business and take people to the edge of the earth and he says you know if I do that they'll come around to our way of thinking eventually they may have to make a lot of gas stops around the coming around but they'll eventually come around because even him as a pilot who flies in the upper atmosphere can has seen the evidences. He's also an engineer uh, who's done a lot of these calculations. So um, yes, the earth is a sphere. And I think you're right. It's just a lie that Satan's distracting us from the truth. And the truth is that he created it and he has a perfect plan for each of our lives. And it's to put our faith and trust in him.
1: Absolutely. That's a great place to uh, to finish off there, Glenn. I know there's been a lot, lot more questions than what we have had time to deal with, um, but we will save a handful of them to um, come back to. Uh, we've got a, a QA and a session coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, we've got actually... Um, a great program for you next week. Uh, We had a nice little surprise as I was digging through the old archives uh, because um, we didn't realize we still had copies of these as I was going through the Creation Research Center archives. Back in 2009, which was of course the 150th anniversary Of the publication of darwin's book origins or if you want the uh, full title it's on the origin of species by means of natural selection or the uh, preservation of favored races in the struggle for life and uh, my favorite little bit of trivia about that is that richard dawkins was going around uh, actually asking uh, christians could you name all the books of the bible and, of course, quite a lot of Christians couldn't name all the books of the Bible until one Christian asked him, could he give us the full title of Darwin's book, Origins? And Dar- uh, Dawkins couldn't do that either. So <laughs> he always makes me chuckle. But anyway. um In 2009, being the 150th anniversary, creationism really came to the forefront in the media and John Mackay being here in the UK at the time ended up being the most prominent creationist of all being interviewed by a number of news organisations, including Sky News, which went out. Uh, We found that clip in our archives and put that up on our YouTube today. Uh, Fox News, interviewed him, which I believe is going out shortly in a a day or two's time. Um, BBC interviewed him for Hard Talk. Um, So that is... um also going to be a Future Creation Conversations as well. But Richard Dawkins actually started to do a documentary and uh, he'd invited John to come down and be interviewed, but John was busy up uh, in the north of the country uh, on a ministry trip. So they ended up announcing that they were going to come up and um, actually just sort of turn up at uh, at a speaking engagement of John's and um, just basically did an on-the-cuff interview slash debate. Uh, So, yeah, you sometimes find little um, clips of John Mackay versus Richard Dawkins on YouTube, but uh, we have the full unedited version, uh, which was filmed by Channel 4, and we will be dealing with that next week. Uh, We'll be talking with John about... um, his perspective on the debate we'll be watching the full debate as well and then the debate will be going up a little later so uh, exciting stuff really and we're looking forward to um having that on next week so thank you all very much for watching thank you all very much for commenting and giving your questions hopefully it's giving you some food for thoughts like i say go and check out uh creationresearch.net and uh, some of the question and answer sites on there. But until next week, we will bid you farewell. Goodbye and God bless. And we will see you very shortly.
0: And check out Creation Research TV, our new 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube.
1: We've got some great new content going up on our 24-7 live stream very shortly. So go and check that out as that is always constantly going. And show us some support. So... Goodbye, God bless, and we will see you very soon.